Good morning. I was just thinking as I was coming forward this morning, um, last, last week, uh, Jeremy asked me to play volleyball. And uh, I knew when I was coming out to play volleyball, he was looking at me like, I don't know if this guy really can play volleyball or not. And so right now, you guys might be looking at me as like, I don't know if this guy really can bring God's word. And uh, I'm probably not as good as Jeremy is at volleyball, and I'm probably not as good as a speaker as Aaron is at uh, bringing the message. But the cool thing is, is uh, today, me up here is not about me. It's about the Holy Spirit, God's Word, and uh, what the Lord's going to speak to each one of you today. And so I hope if you give me a little grace as I go through this, and um, I hope that you guys have an opportunity to hear from the Lord, especially at the end when we talk about kind of what is God speaking to you. So I'm going to go through a lot of different principles as we've been going through the book, book of Luke. But before I get started, I wanted to tell you just a little bit about me. I'm part of the leadership team here at church project. Um, My name is Weston Kurz. Um, I'm married to my lovely wife, Kristen, back there, and I have two beautiful daughters sitting in the back. Um, I've had the the pleasure and blessing uh, to know the Lord since I was 21 years old. Kind of like Aaron, um, my grandfather, I have a little genetic uh, disposition to being able to do this. My grandfather was a pastor um, for a number of years, most of his life. And, but I didn't come to know the Lord, like I said, until I was 21 years old. So my story kind of starts, it's ha- starts halfway through my life for me personally. Um, when Aaron asked me to take a look at ahead and kind of choose a passage on what I wanted to speak on, um, this passage was really easy for me to choose because of my background. Um, this passage is about money and about giving. And, um, and my background, as many of you know, was in banking for 16 years. I got to work at First Bank for 16 years and taught me a lot about money. And I have a really unique perspective in the sense that I've got literally to see how thousands of people have spent their money um, and what they've bought over a 16-year career in banking before I came to work here at the school. And so um, I feel like I've had a front-row seat to how people have spent their money, believers and non-believers. And then I have my own story about money in the sense that um, my primary driver in my life when I was growing up as a non-believer was to, to get money and become successful. That was what drove me because I didn't have much when I was growing up. And so this has kind of been a, a central theme in my life, money and what does it do and, and that sort of stuff. And before we get started, um, I wanted to ask you guys, how many of you guys have heard this? that money is the root of all kinds of evil. How many of you guys have heard that? Yeah, most of you heard that, right? But technically, the way I said that, it's actually not true. First Timothy, uh, I believe, First Timothy uh, 6, verse 10, it says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And so a lot of people like to use that verse, like, oh, money's bad and things like that. Money's not bad. Money's, money's actually neutral. Money's a tool. Um, possessions are a tool. Um, things that we, God has given us and we get to use. And being born in America, um, you know, is, is a, just being born in this country is a significant privilege that not a single one of us got to choose. None of us checked that box before we were born. Hey, I want to be born in America. Uh, one of the richest countries in the world. So I always like to start in that part. Um, most people today, money in America um, is, a, is an idol for many people. It's been an idol for me. Like I said, it was something that um, pushed me and um, like just I was compelled me to earn money and things like that. But one of the challenges, money can quickly become a replacement for God. And 
that is something, that's where it becomes an idol. We can make God our idol, or money our idol. And um, this is one of those interesting quotes that I've heard over the years, and it's kind of, uh, it's, it's kind of funny, and I'll say it twice because you might have to hear it twice. It is said that we work to make money to buy things to impress people we don't even like. So we work to make money, to buy things, to impress people that we don't even like. Isn't that messed up? Um, some people, you know, try to buy things in order to comfort themselves. Some people buy, you know, use money to buy things so they can show off um, or numb the pain um, of life. That really, that's not, that's not the purpose of money. God, God is the purpose, um, and our relationship with him and his son and the Holy Spirit is really our only true comfort. In, in this life, in the life to come. Um, so here at Church Project, we're about being biblical, simple, and relevant. And in the Bible, God speaks on the topic of money over 2,300 times. Um, that's pretty much more than any other subject. Um, so uh, I've, I've studied this. I'm not a practicer. I can't practice all these, these concepts. I've seen them in practice and other people. Um, like Chad said, we're a project. We're, we're on a mission trying to figure out how to live, how God wants us to do. And that's why we, we turn to the Bible. And um, I would just mention right now that if you guys don't have a Bible with you as we go through these verses, we're not going to put them up on the screen. Um, but on the lampstands, kind of on the sides, if you, if you have a, want to give a Bible, we're going to be going through a number of Bible verses today. I'm going to... Um, try to go slowly and give you the time to find them in your Bible as we read through them together because I think it's helpful for your eyes to see them as well as your ears to hear what I'm going to say. But um, it's important that we take a good look at the subject and align our lives to God's truth. Uh, The concepts are very simple um, of money, very simple, uh, but they're very hard to do and implement in our own will. So just because it's biblical, it's simple and relevant does not mean it's easy. I don't think it ever says that. Um, it's hard to do this. And really, we can't honestly do this in our own power. I can't be a good steward of my money without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit guiding me, leading me, the Scripture leading me on how I should do this, and then having other believers in my life to hold me accountable and talk about these things. So as we've been going through the book of Luke um, leading up to today, um, there's a number of verses that are already talking. We talked about the 2,300 verses. There's a number of different concepts that have talked about, the, about money. Luke, just in Luke alone, in, in 1433, Jesus talks about the cost of discipleship. In uh, Luke 15.8, uh, he's talking about the lost coin. And then in Luke 16.13, um, Jesus plainly says, you cannot serve both God and money. You can't do both. And so um, as we take a look at that, as we go through today's message, um, if you want to turn to your Bible, open your Bibles to Luke uh, chapter 21. We're in verses 1 through 4. And this is the widow's offering or the widow's might, um, is what this passage is typically referred to. As I was preparing this week, I realized that I'd actually um, cut Aaron off a little bit last week um, in this message because the previous verses that we actually did last week really go together to build the, the proper context for today's verses. And so I'm actually going to start back and reverse just a little bit to Luke 20, verses 45 through 47, as we wrap up or go over again what Aaron did last week. And in verse 45, uh, God's word says, And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation or judgment. 
Then starting in verse uh, 1, uh, chapter 21, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live in. As I was thinking about this message, I wanted to call it all-in living, you know, kind of going all-in, you know, and just sacrificing everything and stuff like that. And as I was preparing this week, you know, that I think is part of what this is, um, about kind of giving all-in, and then we'll kind of touch on that towards the end here in a minute. But um, there's so much more to these passages um, that I think God wants us to learn about. And I think to start off, it's very important for us to kind of understand who the scribes were. And I originally was thinking the scribes were just Pharisees, but they weren't necessarily the priests, and they weren't exclusively um, Pharisees, although a lot of them were. They were men who studied the law and, it, and essentially were equivalent to, equivalent to modern-day lawyers. So... In my attempt uh, to make this relevant for us, I thought, okay, i got to come up with something with lawyers. So I, I don't know if I have any lawyers out there in the crowd. I know for a while their bankers kind of got a bad rap there. Um, so I, I'm used to some of the joke, jokes and stuff like that. But um, so for my attempt to make this relevant, we're going to pretend that these scribes were obnoxious, loud, self-righteous. We'll make them personal injury lawyers like Brian the Bulldog Moore. All right, so that's that's who these scribes are. That's who these guys are. Brian the Bulldog Moore, and I know by some of you laughing, you've seen these commercials. And this guy is pretty obnoxious. So, what kind of car do you think the bulldog drives? You know, he's not driving something you know kind of cool. He's driving something big and and uh, something showy. Um, what kind of house do you think he lives in? You know, and what do you think how he you know? Let's say he does give to something. How do you think he gives? Just like the scribes, they were, they were promoting, hey, look at me. I'm, I'm giving all this stuff. I'm really cool. Look at me. And, and that is how Jesus has described the scribes in this and the, and the people that were kind of making a big deal about how they're giving. So that's the scribes. Um, these were people that wanted to get noticed. And we'll talk a little bit more here in a minute about what their motives were. But if we're going to look at the scribes, we also got to look at the widow and understand who the widow is in a, in a kind of a modern-day context, I think, is important. Um, and when it says the widow was poor, uh, the actual translation uh, should read, she was very poor, so the poorest of the poor. Um, her husband has obviously died, and if she has children, they are nowhere to be found. So in today's context, I was thinking about this a little bit. Um, she most likely is, is an elderly, homeless woman, um, who literally does not know her, where her next meal is going to come from. Um, obviously, by her, tr- her trust and her faith, she loves the Lord, and she trusts him so much that she's willing uh, to put in her, her last amount of money that she has. And so when the, when, the, when the message or the word talks about the two copper coins that she put in, in the Greek, they were called lepta, and of course... Again, being the banker, I have to like the money side of this equation. So uh, we talk about the money. I had to do this calculation. Alepta was 128th of a day's wage, and she had two of them. So if we do the math in there, it's about one combined. She's got 164th of a day's wage. Well, today's day's wage, if we take the minimum wage in Colorado today, it's, I had to look this up. I used to think it was lower, but it's $8 an hour in the state of Colorado. Okay, So for $8 an hour times eight hours a day, we're going to say it's $64. 
well, this happened to work out really nicely for me today, that 64 divided by 64 is one. One dollar is equivalent to what this widow had. This is all she had, one dollar. And as we go to the end of the, of the message today, I'm going to ask you guys to do something. Let's see if I can even grab this coin out of my pocket. So back by the offering uh, tables, which are in back and over here, um, I brought some $1 coins today, okay? And so at the end, I'm going to ask you to do something with this if you're led um, as kind of a reminder uh, about this message and maybe something that God's going to talk to you about today. Um, but this is it. This is all she had. And I think it's, you know, I've read this story. You guys have read this story too probably a number of times. And to get the context of this, I mean, I want you guys to think about everything that you physically own right now, every single thing that you own. And it probably won't fit in a U-Haul truck, but pretend that it could. Your house, your possessions, and you just pile up all the money that you got. You're going to bring that to this church, and you are literally going to say, here you go. All of it. She, this lady, this widow did not have any more money at home. She didn't have more money in her pocket. She didn't have money in her 401k. She didn't have any of the things that we do. And so she literally is like, here, this is all I got. I don't know where my, where my next meal is coming from. But Lord, I trust you. And you are my provider and my sustainer. I'm going to put this all in. And so that's where I'd kind of come up with the, the message of all in earlier. Um, and so she put in everything. And I, I don't think we can emphasize um, this point enough. Because I think even walking through that in my own mind this week, I'm like, wow, could I? Could I really put it all in? Could I get everything and say, here you go, Lord? And I think there's, and this is the context of money in this situation right here that we're talking about. Um, but there's so many people um, that do give, give and live all in. Um, and I'm talking about not just their money, but their time and their talent, willing to sacrifice for the service of others. Uh, this week, obviously, uh, coming up on Tuesday is Veterans Day. And there, I know there's some veterans in the audience today. Um, those, those are some servants that live all in. Um, I had a chance to, to see Marcus Luttrell from the Lone Survivor speak a couple weeks ago. And that's a guy that lives all in, you know, for his cause and his team. And so those are examples. And obviously, the best example for us as believers in Jesus Christ is Jesus himself, who gave his all to sacrifice for all of us. And so we've got lots of examples around. And maybe you just need to think about somebody that lives all in in your own context. Maybe a family member, a friend, somebody that you know is you know, kind of just maybe a missionary, somebody that's out there doing, doing good work for the Lord who's lived all in. Um, it, it's, it's really important to think about. Again, I think it's important to con- contrast what the scribes and the widows are thinking. And one of the important things is, is what is their view of God and what is their view of themselves? How do they view God and how do they view themselves? And the scribes' view of God was probably that he's a taskmaster who needed to be pleased by their works or their giving. And I know a lot of times we fall into this trap of, God, you know, I made a mistake, and the way I can get right with you, God, is I got to go do something good. I'm going to put some extra money in, in the offering today. God doesn't work that way. Most of the world thinks he works that way, but God doesn't work that way. He, he just asks, asks us to give in love. And so the scribes are thinking God is as God of this taskmaster, it needs to be pleased, works in giving. The widow's view of God, uh, like I said earlier, was one of a sustainer and a provider. She didn't have much to give, but what she did, she did give because she trusted God and she had faith in God that he was going to continue to sustain and provide for her as he had every day in her life up until this point in time. 
I know some of us, um, especially when I've dealt with people with money, and you you can kind of tell who struggles more with this. Like, man, I, my 401k is big, not big enough. I don't know if it'll last until um, until I die. Well, guess what? No one knows. Only the Lord. You don't know how long that's going to last. There's a story of the person that builds a big barn to take in all his um, goods and stuff and store them up because he's going to just relax and chill now. What does God do? That guy dies. You know, we don't know if we have tomorrow or if we have another 50 years or whatever. And so that's just faulty thinking, I think, when we get going down that path. Um, Also, the scribes viewed themselves. How did they view themselves? It was obviously as they were better than others. Um, Having an attitude of self-righteousness and kind of that showy look-at-me attitude. And um, that was how they they viewed themselves. They were doing things to to get themselves noticed. And uh, the, the widow obviously wasn't doing that. The widow probably saw herself as broken, meek, poor in spirit, and in need of a savior. Um, the widow, when she was giving in, she wasn't making a big deal about giving her all. She didn't say, you know, guess what, guys? This is my last all I got. She didn't do that at all. Jesus just happened to notice her because he knew what she was doing. He knew her heart and where she was going and wanted to make this story that we can learn from today. And so she didn't say, look at me. She wasn't noticed by anybody other than the Lord. And he tells the story uh, through Luke today. So I wanted to switch a little bit, switch gears a little bit here. Um, and as again, as I've, as I've met lots of people and talked about money and, and seen how they give, and you may be wondering, like, well, how, Weston, would you know how they give? Well, you know, sometimes I see overdrawn checking accounts, and maybe they even gave a check to the church. I'd hate to have you guys bounce a check to the church, but I've actually seen that before. But the other way that I've seen in a banker world how I've seen people give is if you give a lot or give enough, you'll typically itemize it on your Schedule A deduction. So I've seen, I've seen that there. And I, I think in the context of looking at people and, and thinking about this message, I wanted to kind of examine, you know, what were some of the reasons why people don't give? You know, some are, what are the reasons why we don't give as much as we should? And I think, first of all, uh, we like to have things um, that comfort us. And we like to get comfort from our possessions. Um, one of the things that my thoughts on this is, you know, we are seeking our significance in stuff rather than in a savior. And that never satisfies. Um, it never satisfies if you put all your hope in getting a position at work and then you get that position and you go, guess what? This still sucks, you know? Um, and I've done that. And, and, and it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Anytime we, we put, you know, our hope in something other than the Lord... It ends badly. Um, I've lived it myself. I've seen it a lot of times. Um, the other reason, another reason people don't like to give or, or won't give, uh, we don't think we have much to give. Um, and obviously this story just, just you know, puts a damper on all that. This widow had nothing to give other than $1 uh, in her context. And uh, she put that in. And it, as, like I said earlier, as Americans, um, even the poorest American is in the top 8% of the wealthiest people in the world. We forget that there's 7 billion other people out there, and not all of us live in Greeley, Colorado, in an area where there's not a machine gun coming down, maybe taking something out. Um, we, we are so blessed, and even the, even the poor in this community um, are, are far more financially rich uh, than most of the world. So that's, that's another reason people give. You know, Lord, I don't have much right now. You don't know my budget. You, know, you start making some of those things. The other reason we don't give is we're actually um, poor money managers. Um, we have frittered away our money. 
we've blown it on, you know, eating out too much or just not managing what we have. And um, we're just not good managers. By the way, um, in our educational system, no one really teaches us to be good money managers. Um, both my parents have filed bankruptcy. My mom twice. Um, I didn't have a good role model on how to learn how to manage money. That's why I think, praise God, he put me in banking. I could watch a few good people do it and see a couple bad examples. But um, we are bad stewards or money managers. And there's lots of great resources out there today on how to become a better steward and money manager. So if this is you and you feel like you struggle with this, um, you can come see me or you know go online to check out um, Crown Financial Ministries or Financial Peace from Dave Ramsey. There's lots of great resources uh, out there uh, if that's somewhere where you struggle. Another reason we don't like to give is uh, we procrastinate and make excuses. Um, like I said earlier, we talk to God like, God, you don't know my situation. How foolish is that? Lord, you don't know my situation. Well, actually, Weston, you don't know your theology because I know everything that's going on in your world. Okay, you're right, God. I'm sorry, that was a bad one. You know, you can't go anywhere from this. You can't outthink God on this matter. He knows every single, every single detail. Um, procrastination, you know, a lot of times, you know, you know if, you've, if you've committed to giving 10%, um, and let's say you get a special little bonus check, and you think, you know what? Okay, I should go get that money right away. Every week that goes by that you don't give that money, guess what? There's three zillion commercials you're going to watch over the next seven days that are going to tell you how to spend that money. And so waiting is a, is a bad thing. Do not wait. Once it puts on your heart, you need to be giving that money as quickly as you can because the world's going to be coming right after it, trying to take it. Um, and so that's something, again, I've learned for myself. Um, you know, one of the things, I think this is the legitimate things. I've, I've seen this when I, was, I did a United Way campaign um, at, at, the, at the bank. Um, one of the, we were trying to get 100% participation in this, and I don't care if someone gave a dollar or a paycheck. And one of the guys told me, uh, he goes, you know what? This one time I heard up in Summit County, the United Way person that ran it was taking money for their drinking habit. So therefore, I'm not going to give to United Way here locally because, you know what, they are mismanaging the money. Well, obviously, there's a lot of flaws in that, in that conversation, and absolutely, people do mismanage money all the time. Organizations mismanage money. Um, but I think it was, I wanted to take a little side trail right here and talk about here, us at Church Project. Um, and when you put, you know, sometimes people might wonder, like, what, where does my money go that I put in these tithes and offerings? Um, what, what, where's, how's it going to get spent? And what is the church's view? This local church that I'm part of, what are, the, what are they, what are they going to do with it? And so um, here at Ch- Church Project, we take stewarding the money as, as a serious matter and a high calling. And we've got multiple people to, for accountability purposes on this. Um, and we're not going to be putting a lot of money into fancy buildings um, or elaborate worship services um, or endless uh, internally focused programs. Um, those are things that other churches have done and, and do. Um, but one of our goals, if, you, if you've been part of the start class, one of our goals is to give away 50% of all the tithes and offerings that come into this church to outwardly focused uh, Christian organizations that are about the gospel and about making disciples and align, align with who we are. And there's a number of them you know, here locally that we've already started to participate in. Um, Young Life, Youth for Christ, the Guadalupe Center. You know, our mission trip that we're planning in March to Haiti is a way of an outwardly focused um, ministry. 
We're not to 50% yet. We're actually over 10% and on our way up, which is awesome. Um, you know, we, we will focus on people uh, and spending money on people. It takes uh, leadership and, and people to run an organization. And, and Aaron and, uh, and, so, and Jeremy on our worship team, th- those are people that we want to support in their high calling of, of leading this church. And so people matter. We won't ever skimp on people. Um, but we do want to have a focus, an outwardly focus, on you know, how are we spending our money that not just to benefit us here in our little bubble, we want it to go out for the gospel and making disciples. So um, those are things that we want to do here at Church Project that, that I think are important for you guys to know. Um, that's where some of your money's going. Most churches... Um, give less than five percent, you know, and the three to five percent of, of their of their tithe and offering to missions. That's not acceptable uh, in my mind. I don't think it's acceptable in the other leadership team's mind. Um, we want to be more outwardly focused. So know that your money that you give here to Church Project, we will do our best um, to be wise stewards of those funds, and they will go to mission-minded things that are going to advance the kingdom. And so I think that's important for everyone to know. Um, kind of the last reason people don't give. Um, is I think this is kind of can, can sum it up really is we just don't trust God. Um, we say, Lord, will you really take care of me? Will you really be able to solve these challenges that are in my life? Um, you know, all those things. Again, that's that that's bad theology. Over and over and over again in Scripture, God talks about how He's going to love us. He's going to care for us. He's provided you gifts and talents so you can go make more money. Um, and it's amazing we forget all those things because we get caught up in just, you know, that what's right in front of us, that situation that's right in front of us. And I know many of us have situations right now right in front of us that are they're staring us in the face is like, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And I would just encourage you to, um, you know, seek the Lord, seek friends. And we talk a lot about being, you know, house church. If you're in a relationship with other believers, other believers, we're called to help support uh, the body of Christ. And if we come across someone in our house church that has a, a significant need um, or something, that is how the body works. Read Acts chapter 2 and how they were selling their possessions and giving those to th- that didn't have enough. That's what we're supposed to do as believers. That's how we're called to work in communion with one another. So I want to encourage you to do that. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit here and talk about kind of the, those are all the reasons why we, we sh- people come up with excuses why we shouldn't give. But now let's talk about why we should give. And I'm going to be going through a number of different Bible verses. So this is where you might want to write these down. And again, you can probably study them later, um, but I'll, I'll read through a number of them here in a second. But why we should give, ultimately our motives are super important. Um, when we're giving, what is in our heart really matters. And I, and I think... A couple things to contrast, again, the, the scribes, you know, are we giving out a sense of guilt or an obligation um, with a look-at-me attitude? Or are those our motives? Um, or are we giving because we are obedient uh, and our obedience flows out of love for Jesus or to give life to others or to accomplish God's mission in our local church or uh, abroad? Last week, Pastor Aaron asked the question, um, is Jesus our Savior only or is he also our Lord? And are we following him as our Lord and what he says in his word? Does he have authority over all areas of our life, including our money and how we spend our time and where we, you know, where we volunteer? Is he Lord of those areas too? I think we have to ask that question. 
And so one of the verses that I think is super important, a Bible verse that, that helps us in this, in this area, is 1 Corinthians 13.3. Again, that's 1 Corinthians 13.3. And it says, If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So um, this widow, um, if, if she gave out of a false motive, um, she gained nothing, actually. And same with us. If we give out of a false motive, we're going to gain nothing if we don't have love behind it. So you always got to have that in mind when you're giving. Is, is this a, where's the love in this? And if you're not giving out of a cheerful, cheerful heart and with love, Scripture says don't do it. Uh, God doesn't want or need your money if your heart isn't right. I'll say that again. God doesn't want your money. He doesn't need your money, by the way, if your heart isn't right. And so don't give if, if you're not right with the Lord and have a cheerful heart. Going to the Old Testament, um, I want to look at these verses. It's six verses in Malachi, uh, chapter 3, 6 through 12. Again, that's Malachi 3, uh, verses 6 through 12. And this talks about robbing God. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And, therefore, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So the question here is, are we robbing God in the way that we're handling money? Um, are, are we robbing God? And the other thing that he says in here, which one of the t- few times in Scripture, if not the only, where God says, put me to the test. And it says, don't test the Lord. This one he's saying, test me. Test me. Give. Give your tithe. Give your offering. Test me in this. See if I will not be, give you abundance. And, um, and, and it's not kind of a, you know, some sort of transaction that goes on because God may give you abundance in a different way than actually money. Um, but he's saying, test me in this. And I've seen this. I can witness to this um, in my life and seeing people that have given money. God blesses them. And again, it may not be in money. It may be in another way. It may be in relationships. It may be in their own salvation. But God blesses people who give back to him. Um, and, and he says, test me in this. I think it's super important. The other cool thing in the scripture that I noticed when I was going through it, um, in verse 11, it says, I will rebuke the devourer. Well, what is Jesus doing in our verses from today in Luke? He's rebuking the scribes who were devouring widows' houses. So this is, this is God's word being fulfilled in Christ in, in Luke all the way back from Malachi, which is awesome. Uh, just another testament to his truth and who he is. Um, another verse that's really good. And again, I don't have 2,300 of them today. Otherwise, we could be here for a while. But um, Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 4, talking about giving to the needy. Um, 
says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I think in America, especially with uh, philanthropy, a lot of people have good motives and stuff like that. But you know, when you when you give to get your own recognition, Scripture says right here, um, that's all the reward you're going to get. And guess what? How many buildings probably in this country are named after Rockefeller? A lot, I'm guessing. Very philanthropic person. Um, very philanthropic family. Um, about let's say, a 1,000 years from now or 100,000 years from now when we're in eternity, is anyone going to be talking about Rockefeller's buildings here on earth? Nope. They're going to be burned up, gone, and destroyed. They are going to be in the past. And that will be all the reward that the Rockefellers got for naming that building. So one thing that's really challenging for me here at the school um, as we raise funds for the school is sometimes people want to put their names on stuff. And um, I have to have a very... um, strong there's some things that have some name on stuff that happened before kind of we got to this point but we're pretty pretty adamant about not putting names on things um because again if that's all the reward you want that's kind of actually not that much god promises so much more and so um and we'll talk about that here in a second so do i give out of love or am i giving to make it about me that's a big question always asking yourself uh matthew uh chapter 6 still verses 19 through 21 uh, this talks about laying up treasures in heaven. And, and so the Lord says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think um, this book right here is one of my, one of my favorite books. Um, it's called The Treasure Principle by Randy Elkhorn. And I just wanted to read a, uh, read a brief story in here about this because um, I think it helps us to understand um, what, what that scripture really says. And so this is a story that Randy, Randy Elkhorn records. The streets of Cairo, Cairo were hot and dusty. Pat and Rachel Thurman took us down an alley. We drove past Arabic signs to a gate that opened to a plot of overgrown grass. It was a graveyard for American missionaries. As my family, family and I followed, Pat pointed to a sun-scorched tombstone that read, William Borden, 1887 to 1913. Borden, a Yale graduate and heir to great wealth, rejected a life of ease in order to bring the gospel to Muslims. Refusing even to buy himself a car, Borden gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars to missions. After only four months of zealous ministry in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis and died at the age of 25. I dusted off the epitaph on Borden's grave. After describing his love and sacrifices for the kingdom of God and for Muslim people, the inscription ended with a phrase I've never forgotten. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. The Thurmans took us straight from Borden's grave to the Egyptian National Museum. The King Tut exhibit was mind-boggling. King Tut, the boy king, was only 17 when he died. He was buried with solid gold chariots and thousands of gold artifacts. His gold coffin was found within the gold tombs, within gold tombs, within gold tombs. The burial site was filled with tons of gold. 
The Egyptians believed in the afterlife, one where they could take away, take their earthly treasures with them. But all the treasures intended for King Tut's eternal enjoyment stayed right where they were until Howard Carter discovered the burial chamber in 1922. They hadn't been touched for more than 3,000 years. I was struck by the contrast between these two graves. Borden's was obscure, dusty, hidden off the back alley of a street littered with garbage. King Tut's tomb glittered with unimaginable wealth. Yet where are these two, men, two young men now? One who lived in opulence and called himself king is in the misery of Christless eternity. The other who lived a modest life on earth in service of the one true king is enjoying his everlasting reward in the presence of his Lord. Tut's life was tragic because of an awful truth discovered too late. He couldn't take his treasures with him. William Borden's life was triumphant. Why? Because instead of leaving his treasures behind, he sent them on ahead. Um, like I said, this book has lots of really good stories about that and talks about, uh, it's called The Treasure Principle by Randy Elkhorn. Really interesting stuff. But that was kind of a story um, that, again, talks about the contrast of people and how they live and give their life um, and for what cause. Um, one of the key points in these verses in Matthew that we just read is your heart always follows your money. I don't know if I always believe this, but I, I've seen it to be true. A simple test, um, and this is pretty convicting, and it is for me every time I think about it, write it down, and it'll be hopefully convicting to you, is show me your checkbook, and I can tell you where your heart is. Show me your checkbook, and I can tell you where your heart is. And that's, where that's what the scripture talks about. Your, your heart will follow where your money is or where your treasure is. And um, I'm not going to ask you to do this. We're not going to have a checkbook turn-in time later. Um, I've seen enough checkbooks in my day. That's the reason probably why I'm not in banking anymore. Um, but the truth of the matter is Jesus is going to look at that checkbook, and he's going to look at that ledger, and, and, he's, and it's going to be part of, that, part of that story later on. And praise God that he's got lots of grace and mercy for us. Um, but I also wanted to share with you guys the most joyful and content people that I've seen in my experiences are people that are very generous and give of uh, of their money, but also their time and their talent. Um, they seem to be the most joyful people. Um, and so contrary to the American dream ideology that I definitely bought into. So we just kind of wrapped up. Those are some of the other verses I wanted to mention to you. Jesus has just finished scolding the scribes for devouring widows. He points out this widow, um, the contrast between the two. Um, essentially is saying, beware of the scribes, but follow this widow. Beware of the learned lawyers and follow this simple, poor widow. And all throughout Scripture, God always hammers this point to me personally. And it's just another example of 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven, where God says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He does that all the time. All the time. And this is another example in Scripture where that happens. Another point I wanted to uh, talk about today, and this is one, it's not my own thought on this, um, but it's a very good thought, and it's a very good point to this, um, and it kind of starts to wrap up the story. Um, this is from Trent Butler, who is um, a new Holman New Testament commentary. It says, stewardship is judged on what you have left and not what you give. I'm going to say that again. Stewardship is judged on what you have left and not what you give. And I never really thought about it that, that way, but he says, the rich gave out of their abundance, leaving much for themselves. The widow gave out of her poverty, leaving nothing for herself. 
They gave their discretionary funds. She gave her last dollar. Um, giving is judged by the degree of sacrifice. And I think God, that's an interesting concept. I haven't really thought about it a lot, but giving is, uh, is judged by the degree of sacrifice. And there are times, you know, a few times where I felt like, I don't know if I can do this, but I committed to it, and I better do it. Um, and again, I, I probably had to check my heart on that giving, um, but how much does it really cost us to give? I think that's the question for us to all kind of chew on this week. The last thought I want to kind of conclude with here is um, it may still be difficult for you to understand or grasp why this widow would give up her last financial resource as a gift to God. And um, again, we can kind of you know put this all in our head. Um, my prayer here at the end is going to be that we take it to our heart, and then I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit takes it to our hands and our feet and our actions. And so um, a lot of head knowledge and, and stuff in this. But um, one of the important things that I think the widow understood when she was giving is that she knows how the story ends. And when you know how the story ends as a believer in Jesus Christ, you can live all in. You can put in all your, all your financial resources. You can put all your time, all your money. Um, we know how the story ends. And it's super important that we have that kind of in the back of our mind. And there's a little story here that I, I came across this week as well that kind of, kind of drive home this point. And it's essentially the same story that I'm going to read, except in the second half of the story, there's a critical piece of information that uh, this young woman knows. So bear with me as I go through this. Um, it's Friday night, and a young lady is at home waiting for her longtime boyfriend to pick her up for dinner. They have not selected a particular place or time for their date, but 6 o'clock um, is when she's expecting him, and she's waiting for, uh, in her room for the evening to begin. And then it's 6.10, and soon it's 6.30. Finally, 6.42, she hears a honk in the driveway. Fighting back disappointment, she storms to her boyfriend's car, climbs into the passenger seat. Where do you want to go, he asks. I don't care, she says. Nothing could be further from the truth, though. Panera, he suggests. His dad manages the local Panera, so it's clear her boyfriend isn't interested in spending a lot of money on her tonight. And what could be meaningful about bagels? They pull away. (laughs) When they arrive at the restaurant, she she dutifully picks two. If you've been to Panera, you know what that means. He's quiet, a sure sign of his distraction and detachment. Want to go to the beach, he asks. The beach? Oh, boy. If she knew he wanted to go to the beach, she would not have worn her cardigan sweater. What a disaster. Okay, so let's stop here and um, see if anything could have changed how this evening goes. Okay, now imagine the start of the same evening again. But now at 6 o'clock, the same young lady's phone rings, and it's her friend calling from the mall. Hello? Guess who I just saw at the mall? It was your boyfriend. Girl, he was at the jewelry store, and I saw him with a ring box. Tonight is the night when you get engaged. Start planning your wedding. Everything changes now. Each passing moment builds anticipation in her heart. It's 6.10, then 6.30. Wow, she thinks. He must be planning something big. 6.42, she hears a honk in the driveway. Fighting back excitement, she tries not to run to her boyfriend's car and climbs into the passenger seat. Where do you want to go, he asks. I don't care, she says. She means it. Anywhere he takes her will be perfect. Panera, he suggests. Oh, his dad manages the Panera, so it's clear he has something special at the restaurant. And the bagels are shaped like, oh my. (laughs) They pull away and and arrive at the restaurant, and she orders 
as she orders, she's struck that she's going to pick two for as long as they both shall live. He's quiet. It's sure sign his mind is his mind is filled with nervous gravitas of this moment. Want to go to the beach? He asks. The beach? Oh my! The sun will be set in about thirty minutes. What a perfect ending to this to this story. So, as you guys can see, again, I appreciate people that are can think of this stuff because I can't. Um, how the story ends and what piece of information that you have matters, and how you expect life to happen. And so, I think if we kind of contextualize this back into our own sense. We have a Lord and Savior that loves and, and, and saves us, and we can live our life with this expectant excitement of what's to come because this, this little plane of life, this little short time, is not, nothing compared to all of eternity. And so what we do here in this little short window is going to matter a lot for the long run, and I think that's the important thing. And just like the expectant uh, girl who's about ready to be asked to be married, and by the way, we are. Our, our, our bride is going to come, and we have a wedding in, in our future for Christ followers. Um, we should be excited like that, and that's how we should live life and expect life to happen because ultimately we know that God's in control of, of all these things as well. So I think one of the key things is when we have the faith of the widow, we can, too, give it all away, trusting in God as our provider that he will sustain us not just for today or tomorrow but for all eternity. And so just to kind of summarize what we went through today, um, we're called to give, um, especially to the church and to widows, orphans, and the poor. Uh, When we give, our motivation matters. Um, Do we have a heart of love or do we have a heart of guilt um, in how we do that? Our theology matters. Who we say God is is important um, in how we give and what we think about. Um, We can also lay up treasures in heaven as we learned. Um, it's not just about the here and now. Uh, those things can be sent on ahead of us. And then the point that we just learned, stewardship is judged by not what we give, but by how much we have left. Um, and so that's important. Are we given sacrificially? And then finally, knowing the end of the story uh, and having faith to believe it makes all the difference in the world. And so um, why don't we... Uh, go into a time, as, as Aaron says, this is, this is an important time. Why don't we go into a time of, of prayer um, and reflection, and I'm going to lead us in a couple prayers. So why don't we just quiet our hearts, um, just kind of take away the distractions. This is a time where, how is the Lord speaking to you? Uh, what does he want us to learn? I, I'd like us to reflect and meditate. Lord, your word says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to you, but the things that are revealed are revealed that we may do them. Lord, the Bible is part of your will and mind that you want us to know. Lord, we have examined your scriptures today and Lord, we've tried to unpack and explain them. Father, help us to discern the meaning of your word. Help us to work these truths into our heart. Lord, we want, to become a pers- we want this to become a personal word to us and not just a concept that we hold in our minds. God, we want you to take what was said in your scripture. Lord, help us to study it more this week. Um, help us just to meditate on that. Show us, each one of us, a uniquely special area that this message is meant for. Um, maybe we're struggling with finances right now and we need some help. Um, maybe uh, we've been procrastinating on our, in our giving uh, Lord, maybe we've been faithful, and uh, Lord, maybe we just 
be thankful that you've given us hearts to give and, and give you glory in that. Lord, we also um, know how the story ends. But if there's someone here right now, Lord, that doesn't know how your story ends, may your Holy Spirit show them. Lord, we're a broken people separated from you by our sin and rebellion. We really have no ability to give anything to you, Lord. Father, um, we can't do this without your empowering. Lord, you've saved us by sending your son Jesus to take our place and pay the price for our sin. Father, you simply ask us to confess with our mouth that this is true and acknowledge that your son Jesus is Lord. Lord, if we do this, you promise to save us. If there's anyone here right now that does not know you but wants to know your saving grace, Lord, I'd ask that they say and acknowledge this prayer in their heart so that they too can know the end of the story and live a life all in for you. God, we just thank you for this day and this opportunity to worship you. We ask this in Christ's name. If you guys want to go ahead and stand with us as we we start to sing. Um, Worship is relational and meant to bring glory to God, and we have many ways of doing that. Um, Singing, as we're going to do here in a minute, we did at the beginning, praying, meditating, learning, listening, loving others in relationship. As I mentioned earlier in the back, there's an opportunity to uh, give tithes and offerings. We don't really pass a plate here at Church Project. Um, I also wanted to mention um, in the back, you'll notice by the giving boxes, there's uh, little gold dollar coins uh, that we brought. I want you guys, if you're led, to take one of those coins at some point in time and um, today. And this is a way that to remind you, maybe it's in your finances, maybe it's in your giving. Just take one of those coins with you um, as just a reminder of today's message and put it somewhere that can help um, help you think about this concept. Right now, if you have uh, kids in uh, Project Kids, you can go ahead and go get your kids right now and come back and worship. We're also going to be doing communion in the back over there. Uh, another way that we can worship, just acknowledging who Lord, our Lord is um, with the grape juice, which represents his blood shed for us, and a way for representing his body broken for us. So that's another way we can worship as we enter in this time. Um, I just want to also offer up before I, I leave up here, um, if anyone has any questions about finances or money, you know, one of the ways that I, I just feel led to serve you guys is, is utilizing my, what I know, a little bit I know about finances. I'd love to help any of you. Or if you have questions about books, I'd love to get those to you as well. Um, anytime you come see me, I'd be happy to talk to you about that. Lord, just help us to continue to worship you and right now with the music. Thank you.